This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs' Organization, this is Leadership in Action. We are live. We are cranking. The energy is on. The red light is flashing. I'm excited. Today's guest is the president of EO Boston, and she is she is an amazing leader. Um, I have watched uh, as a part of the board for EO um, with her just leading a team. Sometimes we're like cats all over the place, fellow entrepreneurs. It's one thing to lead a company, but to lead a, a team of entrepreneurs is amazing. Um, she is also in her daytime job, a renewable energy guru, an entrepreneur, um, and again, the president of EO Boston, CEO and president of First Taunton Group, and the CEO and founder of Fireflower Alternative Energy, Kathy Doyle. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Casey. And you've been far too kind with those really nice introductions. Absolutely. No, no. It's so great to talk to you. You're here. And so now that I got your expertise concentrated here in this, this interview, I want to ask you the key question we start out with, which is, what is a common misconception about leadership and entrepreneurship? I think one of the common misconceptions is that you're in charge when, in fact, it feels a lot of the time like everybody else is in charge. So it's really maybe looking like you're in charge, but not actually being in charge. That may be why the misconception exists. Yeah. So what is that? Who Who is in charge? <laughs> <laughs> I think on any given day, it could be anybody. Um, you know, we all, we get up every day. I, I actually have a saying on my desk here. It says, you know, I, I've been given this day and I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. So at the end of the day, I hope I leave something good behind, right? So what happens between when I open my eyes and think about that and read that statement and then uh, get to bed the, the, that same night? Oh, lots of things. So it could be anything from, you know, a, uh, what's in charge? Sometimes it's a change for the solar industry. Sometimes it's a change in uh, regulation that, you know, where solar project goes from being really profitable to less so because of the way the regulations can be changed sometimes overnight. That doesn't happen here in Massachusetts, but it does happen in other states. And uh, what else can happen? You know, the weather in, in my industry, believe it or not, solar, um, the weather is in charge a lot. If, it, if the sun is shining, um, and the, the systems I own are making money. <laughs> and if the sun isn't shining, then they're not making money. So the weather's in charge. And then, of course, um, you know, people. There, there's a lot about people that will remain for all of our lives really unpredictable. And I think leaders get comfortable with that and figure out how to adapt and address it. But you're not in charge. You're really never in charge. <laughs> It's it's a it's a complete myth, right? It, it, and I guess the idea is, oh, you know, one day, you know, when when we were all working for someone else, one day I'll be in charge here. And you get here, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> that's not really what happens at all. <laughs> Instead right. of having one boss, I have like thirty. <laughs> exactly, and you're always like you're pleasing one person and disappointing someone else frequently. Um, oh, that is a good point. I think that's one of the hardest things. Is there's always a double sided there. You know, I, I, I'd love to, you know, take you back to the, the thing that you said, the idea that things are unpredictable, you have to get comfortable with that. Um, and just the overall idea of just not being in charge. How have you weathered that? How have you weathered the clouds? And how, 
do you have any advice for other people? And you know, what, what are your best practices for just being okay with the, in, you know, the, the unpredictability of it all? I'd say it's, it's evolved. I've evolved. I'd like to think I've evolved over the years. Um, when I was new and young in business, uh, I feel like I fought that a lot. I feel like I really fought to demonstrate how in control I was. And the older and wiser I've gotten, <laughs> the more I'm willing to admit and accept publicly that, oh no, that I'm not really in charge and that's okay too. So I think it's an evolution. Um, you know, and when you're, when you're new to the business world, um, those misconceptions that you start with about finally getting to be in charge, they're there and they're, they're, they're hardwired. <laughs> and it takes a little bit of experience to figure out that and it, it, figure it out, first of all, that no, you're not in charge. And then it takes even more experience to accept that and figure out how you're going to address all these unknown situations that come at you all the time differently. So I, I feel like acceptance is a part of becoming a good leader and becoming a good business person. Um, not that you just lay down and say, yeah, everything's okay. And no matter what happens, I'll live. I don't do that at all. Um, I have a vision of where I want to be. And that's always in front of me. And I have a vision initially of how I'd like to get there. But, you know, it's kind of like what they do in the military. When something happens, you debrief and adjust. And I do a lot of debriefing and adjusting of my path. And I'm more comfortable with doing that and needing to do that more frequently than I was earlier in my business career. Yeah. This, something, sometimes the experience you know, isn't some new fangle-dangled tech or knowing about EOS. It's just the fact that we've figured out you know, that we have, we have many bosses and we have many factors that now are all asking us. And, and to your point though, the acceptance, maybe, maybe we haven't even figured it out until this very podcast when, when, and I'm not trying to even think, did I even understand that or not? Or did I, did I still have the illusion of, of control, but to, to figure it out, you heard the, on the EO Boston podcast, but then to have the acceptance, it, any, any recommendations, any, tips how do you just do you just need to accept it like how did you come around to that was it you said you fought it you fought that oh yeah I mean um I I'm the oldest of seven kids and uh yeah. we we I mean I'm used to being in charge you know so <laughs> yeah. I I take that with me into my business life into my personal life and um and still you know growing up being in thinking you're in charge as a, as a young adult or a child and then living a life where that's not really the case and seeing it over and over and over again it's kind of like that two by four that has to hit you in the head many many times totally. so i'm not i'm certainly not um i'm not sitting here saying i have all the answers and i know exactly how you should do this i really think it's a series of life experiences that gets you from I'm in charge of everything to I'm in charge of nothing. And I just need to react to it in some semblance with some semblance of professionalism <laughs> and civility. Right. And, you know, I think that's one thing about entrepreneurs is that we are, tend to be okay more than other folks in the population with risk. And, and I think it's not like we're trying to convince everyone to be okay with this level of risk, but there's something natural about us where we're like, well, yeah, maybe I'm not in control of anything, but let's try it. <laughs> you know, let's yeah, let's go for yeah. it. And so what, right? And, and, and so maybe what? I'm not 
maybe I'm not in control of anything. And so what? Yeah. Uh, let's see how this all turns out. And yeah. it may go well, it may not. And you know what? I'll land on my feet either yeah. way. <laughs> but there, there's definitely value in recognizing what you do and don't have control over. You know, I think that, I agree. I that agree. saves, you know, yeah. many an anxious night just knowing, well, this isn't something I can really control. So let's not obsess over it. Let's figure out what we're going to do next. Or this is something I can't control. Let's let's control it already. Yeah. And I think that the way for that part of the equation, things that have helped me uh, are, are really kind of the, the bedrocks of things that we do here in EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. One of, one of the things that helps me control what I can control uh, is my accountability group. So I have I have a, a call every week where I commit to doing three things every week and I call my accountability partner and I tell that person and I change partners over the course of the year as well. And I tell that person, this is what I said I would do and this is what I got done very honestly um, and candidly, whether I did it or didn't do it. My accountability partner helps me with achieving the things that I think I can control. And I don't always hit the targets, yet accountability groups really help help me with that. So I, I would advocate anybody who's going to thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, growing their business, I would say having an accountability partner is a really important element of progress and success in business. That makes a lot of sense because I, just as much as we have some of that foggy, fuzzy area around who, how many bosses do we actually have? We actually have many. I think the idea of accountability, thinking, do we even have accountability? Well, you do to those 30, but it's a little bit more indirect. And so yeah. the idea of an accountability group just really helps because sometimes you need you need someone, especially at the highest level, to hold you accountable when you, who's going to tell you to do that, right? But what was interesting, when you mentioned that, I immediately felt, oh yeah, th- I totally need that. And at the same time, I was like, why does this scare me? Why does the idea of having to tell some other CEO in my accountability group that no, I didn't do what I said right. I was going to do. And that's what it's for. It's supposed to scare you and to do yeah. some things that you might not get around to. And you know what we've done uh, with a little bit of twist on this accountability partnership thing is in my EO forum, we've actually set it up so that I'm accountable to one individual, but that individual is not accountable to me. That individual is accountable to a different individual. Therefore, you know, if I get to the point where I get a little sloppy and I didn't do my stuff and you didn't do your stuff. We pat each other on the back and say, that's all right. Let's try again next week. We don't do any of that. You have a totally different accountability. I like partner. that's smart. That's really yeah, smart. It's kind of, it's like another little way to, to keep things completely honest and, and, uh, really completely open. Yeah. It's like diabolically great, (laughs) right? It's like, just when I didn't want that much accountability, now it's like, hmm, how could I game that, right? We're (laughs) always trying to innovate around challenges. Like, hmm, how could I, well, you know what? You didn't do, you had a tough week. Me too. And how could I possibly hold you accountable if I didn't get my stuff done, right? Yep. But instead, I'm going to hold you accountable because I care and somebody else is going to be kicking my butt and... That's yeah, exactly that's, why we set it up that way. Is, is that part of your forum in EO or is that just a group you have? Yes, that's part of my forum in EO. So yes. I've been in EO since 1994. So wow. <laughs> I, uh, I've had lots, I've been in only three different forums in all of that time. And I have learned so much from each member of my forum. 
the forum I'm in now has adopted this idea of accountability groups after one of our um, forum retreats where we go away once a year, we go through our annual goals together, we always read a book, um, and we put ourselves on a track for the following year. And one of the suggestions many years ago was let's make um, let's make accountability a little bit more of a tangible thing if people wanted to do it. And the whole group did want to do it. So we are, um, we are calling each other outside of our forum meetings once a week, uh, different calls for like 10 or 15 minutes. It's not a big yes, deal, but it's a really helpful um, way to stay on task for those things that are, you know, the important and not urgent things that don't get enough airtime if you don't focus on them. Totally. Yeah, I totally get that. Man, uh, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you, um, you even brought up EO is, you know, um, the idea of how frustrating it can be. You mentioned this earlier about pleasing one person, knowing you may disappoint someone else. And it's, it's part of those hard decisions you make as a leader. Do you have, do you, what's your mindset? Like, how do you, how do you approach that knowing you're going to make someone unhappy or like, you know, like sometimes we, we want to make everyone happy. Like, Hey, we're, but you have to make a decision at some point and you have to weigh the pros and cons. Do you, do you have any way of, I mean, how, you've been doing this for so long. I'd love to know what goes on in your mind. Like, do you just make that decision or? Well, uh, what I don't remember who it was that said, you know, I guess I'm thinking about personnel. And so if yeah. you are at a point where you think, somebody isn't fitting with your company and the culture of your company anymore. How long between that moment, that initial moment of thought and the action oh. that you are about to take that yeah. you should take, how long is that? And um, I would say that early in my career it was very long because I was, um, I, I really wanted to ensure that I, I didn't disappoint someone. I didn't miss something. Uh, so I would give, I would give the time span between the thought of, huh, this might not be working the way it should be, and the action of, I've got to do something about it today. There'd be a long time in there, um, initially, in my business life. I have heard over and over and over, and I have witnessed and I have experienced over and over and over again, the shorter you make that time, the happier everyone is, mm -hmm. really, because how many times do we all hear when someone has to go um, and you do make the decision, you have to um, let them go. Uh, the rest of the staff is like, well, what the heck took you so long? Yeah. Collective <laughs> sigh of relief. They right? all knew way before. Well, they knew for a long time and you were just the one trying, I don't know what is, who, who said, uh, I'm not sure if it was, I was being nice or I was being chicken. Am I yeah. being nice or am I being chicken? Um, yeah. Mostly it's chicken. Yeah. And it translates to chicken too, I think, you know, or dumb for everyone around you. Who's like, I knew that right away. You know, yeah. it's hard. And, you know, no matter how a relationship goes in business, um, that other person has has a lot at stake, just as the business does. And I, no matter how bad it gets, I still have, when I have to do something like that and let someone go from the business, it's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. No matter what the personal relationship is, even if it's not good, it's still really hard to um, to really disappoint someone who, you know, they're, they're doing, I have to, I, I do approach the, all of the personnel decisions as though everyone is doing the best they can, you know, mm -hmm. at times the best they can is serving the business. And at times the best they can is not serving the business. And that's when you have to do the hard thing as a leader, you have to go there and 
you have to lead and say, what's happening now is not serving the business and this is how we're going to resolve it. And that disappoints people. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. And you know what? I've always seen people just really thrive. You know, it's almost like a relationship, you know, where it's just, hey, you know, maybe we're just friends. <laughs> and mm. they, they just thrive somewhere else yep. afterward. You know, they, they get that, like they, they were someone's perfect hire in this other role. And, and so that, that helps. Them. I don't know how we got into personnel, but it's just yeah. one of the many yeah. tough decisions. Um, but I know that when you make tough decisions like that, you, you can't really be sharing this stuff with a lot of people. And you've heard the phrase, it, it can be lonely at the top or you're disconnected really more than lonely, right? You're just, you're do, making decisions and the org chart doesn't flow upward. It's like a different direction. And so I was curious, what kind of communities, what kind of strategies do you have for staying connected um, when you're in a leadership role? Um, well, I think for me personally, there are two really important communities. One is the community of my sisters. I'm the oldest of six girls. And, uh, you know, we we used to, before COVID and the before times, we used to get together once a week uh, and have drinks and talk about our lives. And if there were anything really important in business, I would share that with them and get their perspective. And we all have very different lives and businesses. So that was all good. Um, the other is my EO, my Entrepreneurs Organization Forum, which is just, it's, it's really the gold in my business life that I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be an EO for so long. I have, I have learned so much from others who are leading their businesses and their experiences that I haven't, I've been able to avoid really bad mistakes that I would have made. Otherwise, I've been able to grow faster because um, I've learned from people who are growing the things they're doing. And I've discovered, well, you know, that doesn't seem so hard. I can do that too. Um, and it's given me the confidence to try things that I would not probably have tried without seeing them succeed somewhere else. So those are all that EO has really, for me, Entrepreneurs Organization has been that, that place where I could go and get the respite from trying to make every, all these decisions in my lonely little silo and getting, getting the, like the hug, <laughs> the great hug from all the brothers and sisters in forum who will say, oh, we can help with this. Uh, let me tell you when, when I encountered this, let me tell you what happened and let me tell you what the result was. And it's so meaningful. This is not advice, you know. It's it's real world experience shared by people who have a who with whom I've built a trusting relationship. So it's so valuable. It's one of those things. I love the way you said. You know, it's the respite from the lonely silo. You know, only to get the great hug afterward from your your fellow EO members and your forum mates. Yeah, I know we have a lot of EO members listening to this, but we often have folks not in EO and everyone's welcome. This is leadership in action um, in the Boston area. So could you describe what the forum is? It's one of those magical things that, but I think if anyone could describe it, you could describe it. What is forum really? Well, so um, when someone says, why are you an EO? Why am I an EO? Um, entrepreneurs organization, my philosophy about being in any organization is be an active member, you know? Mm. So yep. when I began uh, my membership in EO, I intended to be an active member of the organization. So I don't sign up for five or 12 or 20 different organizations. I sign up for one or two and I put my heart and soul into those. 
and I get my I get more than that back. And so, what is Forum? Forum is so EO is a group of fifteen thousand global members all across the world who have their own companies, who have a certain level of revenue, who are either majority shareholders or founding partners of their businesses. And that's that's a lonely place to be sometimes. And so each chapter, like here in Boston, we have a chapter of 100, approximately 100 members. Um, these are all business owners. We divide that chapter up into small groups. And those small groups meet once a month for, you know, three to four hours at a shot and share experiences on what has happened in the past month. What am I trying to do with my business? Um, we also can choose if people do to share personal, um, you know, personal developments or information about, you know, I had, I went through something very difficult where my husband um, was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And I, I shared that with my forum and helped, them understand how how something like that impacted my business, and uh, you know that's valuable experience that they can have if anybody in their family has something like that happen. So forum is a, a, an opportunity to share your what's going on in your business life. If you choose what's going on in your personal life, and that experience share helps me as a member of forum grow, and getting that experience share from others helps me understand maybe ways to do things that I wouldn't have envisioned, I wouldn't have been able to see. And it's really, for me, it's a growth uh, opportunity. Every single month, I spend that time in form working on my business, not at my business. I get away from the office, I talk about big picture things, and I learn about how people do their big picture things in ways that I wouldn't be able to figure out on my own. Yeah, we always, for, so wise. I mean, this is why you're, you're, the, you're the president, right? So this, take time to work on the business, not in it. We all, we've all heard that phrase, but what actually gets you to do that, right? It's very easy to just be wrapped up in the day-to-day. -day. There's always things to do. And so you need some kind of poke to say, hey, it's time for you to go to this thing, go meet up with your, your forum, go meet up with your group, and just for a second... You know, you're gonna have to turn off your phones, you know, and you're not gonna look at your email and you're going to talk bigger picture with everyone um, and t think about what you could do on the business just for a second. Right. So I, I found that to be the same for me. And then you mentioned that with forum, you're sharing, you're sharing, you know, business life, personal life, if you want, but also the experiences you mentioned, the experiences. And I found that, you know, EO in particular, they're they're all about experience share, right? That gestalt mindset. And not a lot of the other groups are. And I've I've like sampled other ones and I found that other ones they'll say, oh, give advice, give advice. But you don't know after hearing someone's challenge for 30 seconds what they actually should do. And so EO is very clear in that instead of trying to decide for someone what they're gonna do, you just share with them what you did. Right. And let them come up with their own conclusion. Like we're all adults here. Right. So instead of let's all come up with ideas for, for Timmy. No, 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 no. Let's share with him all of our, all the things we did and let him make that call of what should happen. And I find that sometimes with experiences, just even hearing that five or six or eight other people who run their own businesses have had a similar situation is even enough just to know that this is a challenge that other people have had and I'll be okay. You know, it, whether there's an answer in that solution or not. A very good point. In fact, yeah. 
you know, one of the things, uh, the, the forum is comprised of between six and 10 members uh, on average. And uh, people are not in the same business. Okay. Everybody has right. a, different, a, different, yeah, yeah, um, a different industry. And so it's amazing to me, though, in light of the fact that we have such different businesses. Some are big, some are small, some are, you know, some are service, some are, are, are not, you know, some are manufacturing. So all, among all those businesses, we have a lot of the same issues. We have issues with finance. We have issues with personnel. We have issues with, um, you know, our sales or leadership teams. Those things are very common um, topics that we deal with in forum and everybody's got something to say about how their business did it. And you know what? I learned from every single person's experience what to do, what not to do. Um, those are really, really worth their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the shift a little bit. Um, you know, we've we've worked together on the on the board for the chapter and and all sorts of things. Um, and I've, I've gotten to know you from some storytelling you did um, recently, some TED Talks, part of the chapter. Um, but really, who are you? Like, can you, can you take me back in time to like oh, little you growing up? Where did you grow up? And did you, did you know you're going to be a, an entrepreneur and a founder and a CEO <laughs> one day? Or like, what do you want to be? Well, you know? I'm so old. I hate to admit it, but there was this thing. I grew up, I grew up um, in a very big family in, in federal housing projects in Boston. Um, you know, we did not have, we had no money. We had no nothing. And I was the oldest of all the kids. So, uh, and my mom was a single parent for most of my, most of my um, oh, wow. life. With so, what, seven kids, you said? Yes. Oh, jeez. Yes. So uh, again, used to being in charge. So I started to say I'm old enough that in my day, there was this um, TV program, Rex Trailer, and Rex Trailer uh, had these carnival kits that he'd send out and you were supposed to, you know, hold a carnival and send the money to charity or whatever, when you did the carnival at your house or at your, you know, so I would get the carnival kit and I'd set it all up so that you had, you know, something you could win if you if you figured out what was under one cup or another cup whatever and i would run the whole carnival and i'd collect all of about four dollars and 25 cents and i'd sit there and i'd look at him like i like doing this i like making money i want to do this again <laughs> so i think um i've been at it for a long time yeah I'm how old were you six, when you were doing that I, I i don't know i think i was probably Definitely eight or not quite, not 10, under 10 when I ran these little carnivals. And, and uh, it was, I think it was for muscular dystrophy, if I remember. I can't remember what the charity was. Oh, wow. So you're, you're eight. You have barely any money with your family. Mom's running everything. Seven, six other siblings. You're eight years old. And you, and you did a fundraiser for another, for like, for other kids. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Yeah, so we, um, my sisters and I grew up in a tough neighborhood. You know, you learn how to get along in a neighborhood like that and you don't let things stand in your way. I guess that's, um, that's probably the lesson I took from that. I was actually the first person in my um, family to go to college. And um, so I ended up, we all went to, most of us went to um, Catholic school for our whole lives. And so 
my sisters to this day, I'm 60 years old and they, they will not forgive me for having chosen to go to an all girls Catholic high school. Cause then after me, everybody had to go to the same high school. <laughs> They're still mad at me for it. But um, I loved, I loved where I went. I went to Mount St. Joseph Academy for girls in Brighton. Um, and then I went to Holy Cross in Worcester. Um, I, I, I got a degree in chemistry and um, I never really used it. I worked my way through college as a, a temporary secretary and I ended up in a lot of different businesses. And at the end of college, I was supposed to go to medical school. And I said, no, I, I think I probably couldn't have gotten into medical school, frankly, anyway. But I, I, I made the decision literally last semester, senior year that, no, I wasn't going to be a chemist after all. I was going to go to business. So that's what I did. <laughs> Tell me about that, right? Like what made you pick chemistry? And then the last minute, what did you choose? Uh, I just went into business. I, I business. Um, started, I actually started my very first company right out of college. Uh, it was a word processing company. So really? Uh, yeah. What'd you call it? I called it Soma Word Processing. Wow. S-O-M-A. You remember the drug that used to put people asleep in one of those sci-fi books? I've forgotten which one. <laughs> so you named it after a drug that puts people to sleep? <laughs> yes. It was it was good drug, I think. And it's probably <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember why I named it Soma, but I did. Um so yeah, I I had a word processing company and then I um then I sold for a personnel firm and then I started my own real estate business. Then I went into real estate and started my own real estate business. Jeez. I did that for about 17 years. The real estate business was actually um the longest business I've owned. It was uh it became the largest woman-owned commercial real estate brokerage in the state of Massachusetts. Oh my God. Yeah. So that was from like nine, 90 to 2007. Okay. Uh, and then uh, 2008, I started my alternative energy business. So I've been doing that since uh, 2008, where I do three things, really. I do wind, solar, and biofuels. Um, and solar is really the favorite child of renewable energy, or was the favorite child of renewable energy here in the Massachusetts area. So that's why I ended up doing much more solar than I did the other. But I can make I can make my own biodiesel from waste vegetable oil myself. <laughs> wow, life <laughs> and skills, I used, right? And I poured it right into the engine of that um, diesel Mercedes. When it, uh. when it the moment I did that, I I I uh, what I do I um, what I do I negated the warranty because I'm put, sure you did. <laughs> I put diesel biofuel in the diesel tank, but. It worked out okay. It ran for another t- like eight years. So no kidding. <laughs> no yep, kidding. I didn't kill it. Well, let me let me dive into a couple of these things. Um, no one runs the largest real estate brokerage in the area without picking up a few lessons learned. I'm sure you could have your own podcast all about these lessons learned. But if if I were to summer, if I were to ask you to summarize some of these lessons learned, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of owners get into real estate as they've grown businesses and they get some capital. Any advice, tip, yeah. tips, yep. the ones, the biggest ones that come to mind, biggest mistakes or whatnot that, that you yeah, want to Yeah, what, what advice would I give my younger self? Okay, so the first would be, um, so I was in a transaction-oriented business, real estate brokerage. And by the way, it was the largest woman-owned commercial brokerage, not the largest. So, okay. um, so I was in a transaction-oriented business. You're only as good as your last transaction. And in commercial real estate, people really don't do, uh, they don't hope they're, you know, I always used to say we're like the dentist. Um, you need us because when you're moving, you need to find new space. But there's pain involved, a lot of it. <laughs> and uh, they uh, don't want to see you for another five to 10 years after they've moved. So 
you're a this is a transaction. They want it to be over and done, and when it's done, goodbye. So we made. So the good news is, real estate brokerage um, has really healthy commissions, whether the market's going up or going down. Gotcha. So that's the good part of it. The bad part of it is transaction transactional in nature. So there's no recurring revenue. You're only as good as your last deal. That's you tough. are constantly building a pipeline, and you can have a couple of years based on the economy or you know bad turn of events where you get nothing. So that's uh, so. What advice would I give? Um, I'm going to compare that. I also run a, res a, a, a residential and commercial real estate practice right now that was owned by my husband, and he bought assets. At the, we both started our businesses almost at the same time. We weren't together at the time, but we started our businesses at the time. And I started um, GVA Thompson Doyle with one of my partners and we grew and we did all these transactions, millions of dollars worth. And my husband bought a couple of buildings, renovated them, held them, bought more buildings. So he had assets, real assets. Mm. So at the end of 20 years, um, his business was worth a lot more than my business because of the recurring monthly revenue versus, right. you know, and the ad hard assets versus the transaction based uh, business. So I would say for me, that was a really good lesson to say, okay, transaction oriented businesses are great. And I love real estate. I'm like a real estate junkie to this day. But um, if I had it to do over again, I would own more and transact less. I like that. Own more and transact less. Um, wow. And then alternative energy. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you was, you know, what kind of trends you're seeing in alternative energy these days? Is there anything that's got you excited or anything, any changes? Like I'm sure you can see around the corner and mm. months and years in the, what, what are you seeing in that? Yeah. Era? Yeah. It's really exciting. I, I have a passion. So for me, um, solar in particular is real estate. It's just a different kind. It's real estate with a purpose. That's how I look at it. Um, I can go to all my, my former commercial real estate uh, clients and I can say, hey, look, do you understand that if you do X, Y, and Z and put solar on your project or so somewhere, uh, invest in solar, you, it's like investing in another floor of your building or it's like adding another floor to your building. It's really a very good investment. It's not, you're not just doing something, you know, green for the environment and losing money. You actually make money doing this. So when I go to my clients and say that, they kind of, you know, they, they'll give me a meeting because I did a lot of business with them and they'll look at me and scratch their head and say, well, it's so easy. Why isn't everyone doing it? So um, the challenge is, is how, how long the permits um, take to get a project built. The it's not really hard to build a sol solar project at all. And the exciting thing that's happening today is that uh, we're kind of squeezing, we're getting to the point where we're squeezing out some of the excess time that it takes to do a, a project. And we're adding things that add value to the project. And one of the most exciting developments that you're going to see in solar in the upcoming years is battery storage, battery backup. Uh, so when you see the batteries being added to the distributed generation of solar, it's going to change the way our electric grid runs. Uh, there's actually a movement afoot right now that's grid modernization that's doing, that's getting our grid ready to be able to handle all this other cool stuff that can be done, microgrids. And so, yeah, I'm really passionate about that stuff. And I think that um, there's, there, there's so much opportunity, no matter who you are. For me, when I started my solar business, the first thing I did was put it on my house 
just so I could make sure that it worked before I tried to sell it to somebody else. Cause you can't sell what you don't buy. <laughs> so, you know? so, yeah. so I put it on my house. I convinced myself, Oh my gosh, this is like the best thing since sliced bread. And to this day, the end of the day, end of the year, net net, I make all of the power that I use with my solar and I charge my car on it and I, you know, run all the lights and plugs and and and, and um, AC on it. So it works and it really works for all of my clients as well. They're all making, um, Massachusetts is one of the most progressive states with solar incentives. So they're all actually making a good amount on the investment they've made in clean local renewable power right now. So more um, of that, it can only be good for our environment, for, for the investors who are doing it too. hundred percent. I, you know, it's, I heard some quote, I'm going to completely jack it up because that's what I do. Um, but I'll try to pull it out. It's something that like the, the amount of energy the sun sends us, you know, if we captured all of it would, you know, power like, you know, 30,000 earths, you know, we have plenty, there's plenty. Yeah. Um, we just need to capture it. And yeah, I, I, I was wondering, like, it sounds like the tech is getting better and better. And, and I think the, the panels got commoditized and whatnot, but then it was all about the circuitry. Um, are, do you see things getting more and more efficient to the point where it keeps making improvement and it, it's yeah, that sound yeah. investment like you're talking about? Oh yeah. I mean, when I put solar on my own home in 2007, um, I think the cost per watt, it's kind of like equivalent to cost per square foot. So people who are okay. in real estate know this. Yeah, yeah. The cost per watt was something like 875 a watt. And that same system on my house on the small scale side is a third of that these days. So the costs have come way down. So even though, you know, incentives have been around for a long time, and as you know, incentives reward early adopters and they start getting skinnier and skinnier over time. So the incentives have gotten lower, but um, the cost of solar has gotten lower. So the returns are still really good. And that's why that business is still thriving. If we could just make it easier for people to decide to do solar and, you know, write one check and not have to deal with it for another five months and be done, that would be my ideal. It's not there yet, unfortunately. That's why I'm in business. <laughs> well, that, yeah, uh, it, it's, a, it's a business that is, an, it's like an awesome investment. It's a great business model, but it also, it helps the world too. So it's kind of this double whammy of a business that really drives us forward. Yeah, and it's local jobs too. We really can't local jobs. have that. Yeah, that's so it's clean local renewable power. It's local jobs. I think that's good for our state, and they they were very progressive in trying to come up with a plan for that. What is what is the cost per watt just of like getting it from the regular grid? Well, it's cost per kilowatt hour from the grid. So kilowatt hour, a kilowatt hour is what um, is is what you pay for. It's how you monetize the solar that you produce. And oh, kilowatt hour. Here okay. in Massachusetts, it's about twenty one cents or so, twenty one to twenty two cents a kilowatt hour on average just for the um for for the supply which is generation distribution transition transmission excuse me um so all those together would be about 21 cents a kilowatt hour yeah i mean but that's such a challenge you know it, it's still worth it paying the, the two dollars and 80 cents versus the, the 21 cents yes it's a little more complicated than that because two dollars and 80 cents is to to install a system that's going to produce kilowatt hours every year for the next 25 to 35 years. So you're, you know, the thing has a lifespan of at least 25 years. You get a, you get a warranty for 25 year Got it. Um, system. So it's not just that one year, it's, it's all the years ahead. So yes, it's more or less, um, there are, there are lots of ways to look at it. 
but there are tax incentives. Uh, for every dollar you invest, you get 26 cents back from the federal government in a credit. So if you owe, you know, if you owe $100,000 in taxes, and you've made and you've built a, a project that's a million dollars, then you get three hundred thousand dollars in tax credits and use that this year, next year, and the following year. Oh, gotcha. So that, so that helps that with just, the installation. Yep, and yep, yep. It, it maybe drops that overall kilowatt hour cost down. It, so, it absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. So the, the federal incentives, the state layered on top, are the state incentives, and then you know the cost of power. We're at the end of the energy pipeline here. So every time the energy that is getting here comes through a different state, the meter ticks, you know, so that's why at our end of the US, we've got a very high cost of power. It's less in places where power is more available and closer to the source. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So solar is really, you know, it's been a great thing for me. And um, I also do, I also still am in the real estate business. I'm in my real estate office now. So you got, you, got, you got things going on everywhere. Got things going on everywhere. We have 100, <laughs> 106 units of housing in Taunton and Brockton that Holy we crap. own and manage. And there's always something interesting and exciting happening there. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Man, well, um, this has been so great. Where, If people want to connect with you, either on solar, real estate, EO itself, where are some places you want people to connect with you? LinkedIn, websites, where's good? Um, so, uh, my website is K Doyle, K D O Y L E at fireflower, F I R E F L O W E R dash A E.com. That's a good place to get to me. I should get any emails. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I can send you the link from there. If oh yeah, like. we can, we'll find it. Yeah. We'll put yeah. all these things into the show notes. People can just click through. Okay, great. Great. I didn't, I didn't, uh, get that for you. I apologize. Oh no, no worries. Um, that's what we're here for. You're the guest. Okay. <laughs> You're like, well, this, this has been awesome. I, I mean, thank you so much for coming on here. And, and I feel like there's, there's so many things we had a chance to talk about. There's obviously so much more, but that's what EO is for, right? So that's right. So join going. EO, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're always looking. Uh, my, I can really candidly say that EO has been such a valuable resource to my business life and my personal life as well that um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I am, I am truly, um, you know, an evangelist, I would say for EO. Oh, and I'm a great example of someone whose business has grown. I've grown three different businesses as a part of EO. Um, and I'm still in it and I'm still growing businesses. I'm, I'm, I'm the president this year because I feel strongly that I've gotten so much from EO. I have this opportunity to give back, um, and to, um, give my gratitude for everything that I've learned and everyone that I've met. These are, I love being able to hang out with smart, successful people all the time. And that's what EO is to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those listening, if we just scratched the surface, and I know we did on solar, on, on real estate, you know, I get to hang out. We get to hang out and we're, we're, we're sharing drinks, some great experience. And we're saying, Hey, what's your latest real estate you know, challenge or what have you learned recently? And we're all swapping these, these expert tips. So if you want more, that's where you find it. <laughs> Great. Thank you so uh, much. Kathy, so much. Thank you so much. This was fantastic for those people listening. If you learned something um, and you want to learn some more, you want to share it with a friend. If you learn something, share it with a friend. If you want to find out more about EO, eoboston.org is the web address. This podcast is leadershipinaction.live. And that is it. So we will see you all next time. 
Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.